What's up, everybody? This is Jamal. And this is Brandon. And this is The Way We Ball. All right, everybody. Welcome to This is The Way We Ball, episode two. Brandon, we had a fun week since we've last been on. Uh, today's episode, we are going to talk about the Montreal game. We're going to have a review of the Colorado game. Talk about what's going on in Colorado. Um, playoff positioning and finish it off with the, I wouldn't call it breaking now, but finish it off with the news about the World Cup locations coming up. But before we get into business, let's talk playoffs. We're in the playoffs, baby. How are you feeling, Brandon? Dude, absolutely stoked, man. I, after that Montreal game, I mean, hearts were broken, but then LA, LAFC came in the clutch for us. So first time in five years, man, like this is amazing. Eight out of nine seasons of not being in the playoffs. And now finally we're there. It just feels so good. Like everything has just been promises, right? Like we got the new GM and I'm going to, I'm going to promise to do this and we're going to try our best. And it's all just been promises. But like for me, I guess you could count the open cup as like that something you can hold on to. But for me, just the fact that we finally made playoffs, I just, for me, this is like the first sign of real progress. Um, Even, even more so than the open cup. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well, in terms of like, I mean, winning the Open Cup was in, was incredible. For me, though, being a season ticket holder, producer Shay and I, we've been watching some really crap football for a couple of seasons now and actually see the team being competent. I mean, when we were starting to go and we were noticing like, wow, the passing so much better. And then, wow, the play is so much better. And at first, it was just just make the playoffs. Didn't matter if we were the nine seed and snuck in. But then as the season started to progress, usually we hit that summer slide and then Dynamo just fall off the table. But this season, it didn't happen. So it was one of those things to actually see, like you've mentioned, the progression actually starting to come to fruition. Oh, my God. Like, it was so much better to see because now I actually have hope going forward. And if we can keep this team intact – then like we're going to be a legit threat going forward, especially now opening up DP slots too. Like there's really more hope on the horizon than anything else. And that was like that was a common theme we were hearing all year this year. Like, well, typical Dy- Dynamo, we start off strong and then we just fade away. And there was right before the the League's Cup, right before that happened, it looked like we were getting a glimpse of that where we were starting to kind of fall into this abyss of losing, but. The League's Cup was the best thing that could have happened to this team. It just felt like we the League's Cup, something happened there where we just turned it to a different level, and we haven't looked back since, and we never went into that, that downfall that we've been used to for so long. Dude, I'm right there with you. I think with not only how we progressed through the League's Cup, but then even when we got knocked out, having that little bit of a break, I feel like that's like when the team really came together and we just started to make a serious push. Like I think without the League's Cup, I don't know if we win the U.S. Open Cup, in all honesty, because that just made our team really start to gel. Coco took off during that time. Everybody seemed to start to play like Corey then became Scory Baird. I mean, he started to go out of his mind. And now it's to the point of where after watching what happened in Colorado, after going up to Montreal where we've struggled mightily and coming away with a point when we were 10 seconds away from winning that game, like it just now has hope to where – I don't think we're just making the playoffs is good enough. Hosting a playoff game is good enough. This where it's like, if we don't really progress and make a run, I'll actually genuinely be upset, which is incredible to say, considering where we were. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself because you're already touching on some topics that we'll get into here eventually. Um, One last thing before we move on to the first segment. 
Who do you think benefited the most from that Leaks Cup? There's two names that stick out, I think, for every Dynamo fan, but who do you think benefited the most? For Leagues Cup, though, that's man, that's really hard. I mean, not 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 specific to Leagues Cup, but since Leagues Cup, who has been your obviously our defender? I mean, Griffin Dorsey was one that jumps out immediately when he got put into the right back position. We took off. We were able to have like our wings be legit attackers. Steris was kind of holding down the fort when we were playing a lot more like three center backs. But with Dorsey being able to really push the pace up front, then it opened up Keone's on the other side of the pitch. Like it allowed Escobar to move up forward. Like it, it really did make us a lethal attack where before we were just defense. Like if we didn't get a PK, we weren't getting a goal. Yeah, for me, it, it it has to be Dorsey or Baird. It, it's one of those two. Baird, uh, just he just started finding the back of the net. I mean, we knew what we were getting from him, but he was finally starting to score. I'm with you though. I think I'm leaning towards Dorsey because uh, Griffin Dorsey because Stairs was was fine, but you were just getting a defender. There was going to be no yeah. attack. He wasn't going to help Quinones and wasn't going to really free up our offense at all. So. I think since Leaks Cup, Dorsey has really been that bright spot. And Keonis as well, I think, is somebody else that we got to put into that contention as well. Because with his speed, the way he just wears down the defenders, like it's one of those things you know we're going to go down the right side with it, but dare you to stop it. You know, like he just blazes past the defenders. And with him, Baird, and also Dorsey, like we literally took the next step in what we needed to do. Yeah, I think I uh, I think I mentioned it like the last two three games that I've been to in Houston. I try to take people who've never been before, and every time I take somebody, that's the first thing they've noticed is how fast Quinones is. Like <laughs> even for someone who doesn't fly. watch soccer, yeah, that guy just takes off. So, um, and he's only nineteen twenty. So once he really starts getting a little bit better on the ball, and uh, that kid that kid might even end up in Europe in the next two three years. I think he's that Dude. good. He could he could sell for a lot of cash if he keeps developing the way he does. He needs to develop his other foot because I mean he is really one sided. But if he if he can do that and then also become a lethal scorer from that, cha ching, man! Like we can cash in big with that guy. No kidding. Well, let's move on. We've had our fun playoffs. Here we come, baby. Uh, but yeah. let's move on to the Montreal review. So give me your thoughts, Brandon. How did you feel about that game? What were your thoughts? Let's hear it. Well. We talked about in the last pod that if we could get an early goal and then we could hang on strong and then not give up a late goal. And it kind of seemed like all that came to fruition. We got the early goal straight away. And then at the very end with the last literally 10 seconds, they produced a wonder goal to make it equalized. I get all the fans being truly devastated. I mean, I was I was legit angry like I haven't been that bad after a match in a while and it and you know what a great feeling because usually when we go up to Montreal we just get ran over and even speaking of more impressively I didn't realize we didn't get in until 3 a.m because of flight delays and to play that well with like a BC squad that was like starting out there because no Ache Ache he was out for a red card accumulation and then we even started defenders in the back where it was like whoa we're really putting out a lot of guys to rest Bear didn't play Aliu was up front he wasn't terrible. He had a moment where he probably should have put a goal away, but he just waited too long to take a touch. I was actually most impressed that, with Seba. I'm going to cut you off right there. Isn't that yeah. the Aliu story? Like, he's not <laughs> terrible. He just doesn't finish. And I feel like that's been the story all year. Like, you see glimpses here and there. He has a strength. He has a speed. He just doesn't do the one thing we need him to do. And I felt like that that Montreal game was like Aliu in a nutshell. I, 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 I'm totally with you. Yeah. 
But he's um, also not, I mean, he's under 22. I think that's what a lot of people forget. He looks like a man because he's humongous, but like he's still really young. And I think if he can develop a little bit more and he starts to put those goals away, I, I, I think he could be a legit MLS striker. I don't think he's good enough to like play in Europe or overseas or anything like that. But in terms of being a viable MLS striker, I could totally see him developing into one. I know um, Asher will probably disagree with this, but uh, Thor is pretty much done as a Dynamo, right? We can pretty much agree with that. So that was actually – that report got uh, put out, and apparently it was followed up with that wasn't necessarily true. But I'm I'm still with you. I don't know if Thor does come back, which is kind of a bummer already because I like Thor. I think he's – somebody that's still really raw, but the, what he can do with his headers, that's my biggest thing. After watching all of our matches, and especially in Montreal, corner after corner after corner, we do nothing with our corners. Like, we don't ever really get any goals from those. And that was something that I'm, like, extremely frustrated with. Teenage is somebody, since he's come back, he's another viable threat inside the box. And then Thor, that speaking of, Hey, he's somebody with his height and he's also amazing with the headers as well. That's the only reason why I'd really like to kind of put him in there is because we're no threat in the box. And that's a huge minus. We get all these corners, but I honestly don't know if we've produced a goal from a corner this season. And I remember being very, uh, very confident in our corners because we had Ache. Well, my, my theory was that you have Ache Ache servicing. And I remember Sviachenko coming in and we were being sold that he was he was good in the air. So um, my my theory was Fiachenko, Hadebe with his height, and then Acha Acha servicing them. Like I thought we were gonna, I thought that was gonna be one of our strengths. But man, we the corners we just have not done anything. No, and and with free kicks, totally different story. Acha Acha is able to put them on goal and everything like that. And even Nelson had a great attempt as well. But like it's it's frustrating because we're getting these attempts. And to do what with it? And it, it's just, it's missed opportunities. And especially when we're putting up like 15 corners a game and nothing is servitude from it, not even really much shots on goal. It's it's so frustrating to have to now it's a point of, is it really even advantage to get them? And so that that's a huge struggle. But speaking of more players that kind of stood out, Seba to me was incredible in the 10 role. I thought he really kind of showed out. I mentioned before in our last pod that in terms of passing percentage, granted this was now game number seven for him, he's actually our highest rated passer. And I think, dude, he he's somebody that on the on the strike, like he he puts in the effort. He's just got good vision. He's like that point guard that can like open up the field and really see people and pass around that I think coming off the bench and coming in for Bossy or coming in for Coco, like I don't think we lose a step with him coming out. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The first few games that we saw um, Seba in, I saw a lot of promise there. I didn't see any reason to not bring him to, to not give him another shot. And personally, I feel like every game he's been in, he he's getting better and better. I think it was just him getting his legs under him, get, him getting used to the heat. Um, now with this cooler weather we're getting in, I mean that's just going to benefit him. Um, I I saw a lot of a lot of optimism with with him running the 10 i i really enjoyed seeing him there and like you said i just i enjoyed his vision um it, it seemed like uh i had a little brain fart there he um i'm just thinking of him linked up with Ache Ache. that's gonna be that's gonna be pretty pretty exciting because he was with uh Caicedo, who's not the strongest offensive midfielder um no and, and was it coco that started as well right 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of everybody because I'm, I'm going to get that in the Colorado match mixed up um, yeah. because it was uh, we had a different starting lineup. Casado was out there, um, Coco, and then no Bossy, no Ache Ache. Um, we, we played a lot of different. Aliu was up top, and then so was um, uh, Seba. And then I think and Nelson was up there too because he had a he had an opportunity to on a break and he didn't put one in either. It, it was a frustrating day in terms of us shooting on goal that game. Like it was Corey when he subbed in for Aliu with the lower back injury, which thankfully wasn't anything bad for for Aliu. He's perfectly fine. Um, but Corey had an opportunity in the second half to put a goal in. He was right in the box, and then he he was struggling. Thank God, in the Colorado game, he finally put one into the back of the net. But for a couple of games now, he was having a tough time. For me, the most frustrating part is during that Montreal game, so obviously now four of the last five games, we've given up a goal in the 87th minute or later, and most of those came in the 90th minute. St. Louis, Vancouver came in the 88th, then also Montreal in that 96th minute, man. That was a... That was just a, it it was a lucky goal. I wish we would have cleared it a little bit better, obviously out of the box, but I mean, what could you do? Clark had no opportunity to even put a save on that. The guy put in a brilliant shot. I mean, it it was just, everything went right. It it was just a really gut-wrenching goal, man. I was so angry. Yeah, I, and on socials, you know, you got a lot of people blaming other people. I saw some people blame Franco as well. At the end of the day, it was just a lucky bounce. I I couldn't, I remember that game ended and I wasn't, I was devastated, but I wasn't angry at anybody. I felt like everyone did their job. And some days, you know, the ball just bounces your way. And that was specific, a specific example of that. No, 100%. I wasn't angry at anybody. I was more just angry at the fact that it was like, that game was ours. We outplayed them with guys resting. And we, I mean, that first half with that lineup that we had out there, like we owned the match. And then second half came around. We kind of seemed like we parked the bus a little bit, which again, I understand we were just trying, we were probably exhausted just being tired and also trying to rest as much as we could. And for that to break. And then what made it frustrating is because all we had to do was win and we were in the playoffs, but luckily for us, LAFC took care of business dominating uh, Minnesota United later that night, five one. So like we we still clinched playoff spot. So it, it was all good in the end. But it would have been nice to have those three points because right now we would have been sitting top three. We'd be really comfortable right now. Um, before we move on from that game, what were your thoughts on Bartlow back there? So I'm I'm a big fan of Bartlow. I think he's somebody that, in terms of where he's come from, him and Mikael, I I didn't have much expectations coming into this season. But they've stepped up tremendously. To me, Bartlow is somebody that if we can develop him, I, I mean, I know this sounds ridiculous, but if he can keep getting better, it wouldn't shock me if he ever got a call up to the Nashville squad. Like, I mean, I don't think he's going to make World Cup squad, but I could see him making a friendly. Like, I think he's that serviceable to where he can really kind of develop into something. He's he's good with his headers in terms of what on the box. He does make that occasional mistake where he doesn't necessarily mark the guy, but for the most part, I, if he's starting, I trust him. Like there, there's no, I don't think we falter with him in the lineup. Yeah. With Barlow, I think you're just going to have a bunch of, of growing pains. Um, but uh, yeah, I see a lot of, I see a lot of promise there. That back line looked solid with, with him and teenage back there. The one thing I love about this, this year's squad, as opposed to last year, when you have these BC team squads out there on the field, you don't, the leap doesn't feel that big 
of no. a step back as opposed to years prior. Like I'm very critical on Pat specifically, and he's done a solid job of building not only a competitive team, but a deep team. And yeah. And again, me being the pessimist I am, I would always say, well, look where he started. It wasn't too hard to, to go up from where we started from, but he has done a solid job, especially in the back line. And maybe that's because he was a keeper and he knows how to build from the back up. But um, that back line, I feel whether it's Mikael, Bartlow, Teenage, Fiachenko, even Steris sometimes, like I feel like we have a solid back line no matter who is back there. I would argue that our, our back line is the best in MLS. Like I think with our depth and not only our, our play, to me it's 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 what it's the engine that kind of fuels us for a lot of the ways. Like it, without that back line, this team would struggle mightily. But we have such a deep back line. Our midfield is is obviously the cream of the crop. But if one of those guys were to go down, that's where I'm a little bit scared. That we're we're a little bit thin because yes, Caicedo off the bench is fine, but then after that it gets like, do we, do we try to out Brooklyn reigns? Do we try to make Brad Smith play out of position? Like you start to really kind of struggle a little bit outside of Caicedo because then you'd have to move bossy out of the wing. You'd have to move Coco out of like kind of the counterattack mid. I mean, yes, we have four, but, and then five would make Caicedo. But if any of those get injured, like that's, that's a scary moment for us. So like, we can't pick up any reds. We can't pick up any accumulation going forward, especially in like playoff time. And, and yeah, like Artur is definitely irreplaceable to me. He is, he's the MVP of this team. The good thing about that, I feel, I feel like we're, we're, we're slowly building. Right. So I feel like this last year, we've pretty much solidified that back line. Another exciting thing about that is that both those guys that we mentioned, Bartlow and Mikael, they're only 23 and CB or center backs have a long, have a long shelf life um, in soccer. So in my opinion, I think that the, the grand scheme was to slowly build the lower third, the midfield, and then the, the attack, whichever order. But I feel like our, our back line is pretty much settled for a few years to come now. Next year, we'll worry about the midfield because, um, I mean, there we, we are – you get pretty pretty old pretty fast. You have Ache Ache, who's in his 30s, Artur, who's also in his 30s, um, and Caicedo, I want to say, who's either late 20s or early 30s. So I think that's going to be something well, so, that we really focus on next year as far as the bench. Yeah, and Coco. and Coco could be going international. Um, but looking at our back line, kind of jumping ahead, would you sell anybody? In the back line? Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, right now, you might get more – I mean, it, it, you could probably get a lot on the dollar for Bartlow and Mikael, considering the leap that they've made. But, I mean, they are, in terms of relative of their contract, cheap. So that means maybe we could sell Teenage and then open up a DP slot. Or I don't want to get rid of Svetchenko, but, again, if we can get top dollar, do you think about it? Yeah, I think uh, as far as selling, we're going to get the best – bang for our buck with um, with either Bartlow or Mikael just because of the age. I don't think too many teams are going to pay a pretty penny for someone like Sviachenko just because of the age. Um, yeah. I would sell teenage. Um, I'm going to take an old wrestling saying, million dollar man, everybody has a price. So I would, um, yeah, I'd be totally fine with selling those guys, uh, especially if it was out of MLS. I'd be totally fine with that. I think we can make a really good penny off of them. Um, I'm still... I think our days are numbered with Coco. Um, speaking of selling folks, I think he's going to be the one that will make a that will make a decent payday. 
from. But if we um, if we get a decent payday from him, and then do the same with one of those center backs, that's a lot of cash to build to build your team out with yeah. next year. And uh, Sebas Ferreira, he's still on loan, so technically we could get rid of that contract. You would get rid of Ivan Franco's contract. Like we could actually have an influx of money coming in at the end of the season just by getting rid of some guys that we don't necessarily need or parts of the team that is really deep and start to build out that midfield and also maybe another attack as well up top. Cause we're, we are going to need that going forward. Yeah. So that's definitely something um, to look into. I'd be totally fine. Preferably no, I wouldn't want to sell them, but if we had to, I'd be very, very much okay with that. Um, so let's I agree. switch on over to more positive. Uh more positive things. Let's talk about that Colorado Rapids match. 5-1. Dominance. The good guys dominated. Brandon, before we even get into it and dig into that, what was your favorite goal from that match? The passing was insane. Shay and I obviously were there at the match. The goal where I would say where it was bared or not Baird, my apologies, Dorsey, where he crosses it across goal to an easy tap in for Nelson because the setup to that play was just tic-tac-toe all the way through. And when we put that one in, it was like, oh, this is going to be a night, man. Like it, you could just feel that we were going to run it up. And not only that, that starting lineup, that needs to be our playoff lineup. That was just, we looked fast. We looked, we looked like world beaters out there, man. Like that first half, nobody could have taken us down. That was such a just brilliant team effort. What about you? What was your favorite goal? Uh, the same. I think that was, I think universally that was everyone's favorite. I felt like socials, it was getting a lot of hits. I know the the Dynamo account had shared it and talked about, um, I forgot what subtitle, what uh, was the con- uh, the uh, subtitle they used. But uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of just showed, I feel like that was a glimpse of what this whole project is about, is having team ball, midfielders that can pass, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I just, for me, that was definitely my favorite. It just, it, it kind of showed what this team can be when they're, when they're hitting on all cylinders. Um, An underrated goal was Corey Baird's because that angle, he had to put that into the far corner was like, that's something that could have been like the keeper would have had to made a brilliant save, but his window to put that in was spectacularly hit. Like I, I gave it up for Corey on that one. When I watched the replay again, cause obviously in the moment I'm just cheering cause the ball went in, but like when I replayed it and I saw it. He had an angle for that that was a very difficult one, and he put it in beautifully. It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you got to look back on that. With the goalie creeping in on him, you ha- there's not much room for him to put it in. Keone's had one outside of the box. Like, that one, I think, took a nice little hop for him there past the keeper. So, like, that was just like, oh, God, it went in. But Corey's is – I, I got to give it up to him on that one. I'm telling you, man, if you look back on that, that's uh, that's one usually he puts into the keeper. And for him to put that into the net, he needed that. As they say, even a blind squirrel gets a nut. So I'll leave that there. And I did I too. Was, I, was, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was happy that Artur got his, got, got his in. So Two and two uh, games, baby. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I love seeing the defenders get some love, man. Um, he he more than anyone else deserves it. So um, going back to that lineup, you would start Mikhail then over anybody else in that back line next to Sviatchenko? Just because I think he's earned it. I Like, don't get me wrong. I think teenage has, man, to say a higher ceiling is, is, is tough to say. Like, I trust teenage to get us a goal, 
But I also think teenage causes a big mistake as well. But saying that, I mean, Mikael did cost us in the League Cup where he went to pass it back to Clark and he put it into our own net. So, But that's literally kind of like been his one biggest mistake besides when we put him out on the wing. But yeah, I think I would go with exactly what we had where we had Escobar and uh, Dorsey on the wings, Svechenko and then Mikael in the center and then going out building out in the mid with our strongest one of Coco, Artur, Ace Ace, and then Bossy, Kionis and Baird up front. Like that's that's a lethal, lethal threat. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, I'm totally fine with Mikael um, getting that starting spot. I felt like the time that Teenage had off with his injury, um, the team really kind of gelled and the chemistry's there with, with that back line. So I'm totally cool with him starting. I agree with you. And I also feel like, because um, we're going to have to do something with that Teenage contract, I don't like having him as a, as a, as a DP. So um whether we sell him or whatever we end up doing with him, that's going to soften the blow having Mikhail back there. So, Yeah, I need to learn more about how the contracts and money works in MLS because I'm not sure when you can like buy a player down out of a DP slot because if we can buy Teenage out of that, I would, I would totally do that to free up a, a spot. I want to keep him around because I think he's – he's like a lifeline, like in terms of like a heartbeat to the team, him and bossy, you can tell everybody enjoys him. Like that. I, I think that's something that's very underrated about this team is the chemistry that they have in terms of like enjoying each other's company. It's not a situation where they, it, a lot of the times in professional sports, you'll see guys just collecting checks and they play with each other, but they don't necessarily like each other. I feel like this team genuinely hangs out and enjoys each other's company. And that's why I think that's going to be an underrated aspect when you go into the playoffs, because they're going to be playing for each other. They're going to really be going that extra mile. I mean, you don't have to look too far to see something like that. If you look at, uh, if you look at the Houston Rockets, the last two or three years, I feel like that, that those teams, they were all just collecting paychecks. I don't really think anyone really got along with one another outside of the, outside of the court. So I agree with you there. Um, You don't really feel that way with, with this current dynamo. Um, they all seem to have each other's back. I remember I was I was kind of concerned about that the first game of the season when um, uh, what's his name the the left back had gotten checked and he hurt his shoulder. Oh, um, Tate Tate Schmidt. Tate, yeah. I remember being kind of triggered that nobody went out to like defend him. Like, <laughs> and and I'm used to to L three Ache Ache like being a menace, getting under everyone's skin. And I was like, dude, where the hell is that guy? Like, where's the Ache Ache that I hate when it comes to national team play? Yeah. And um, I was really bummed out that that didn't happen. I don't know what's happened from that first game to today. If that happened today, I don't think that's going unnoticed. Escobar, oh, Escobar would burn the stadium tour. down. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, I don't know what, what Ben did uh, behind closed doors, but whatever he did, it's working. These guys all seem to be playing for each other playing for the crest and it's just really fun to see and at the end of the day you're seeing the results on the field i mean it was obvious in the colorado match that first half was probably outside of the u.s scope uh, the u.s cup final was probably our best half i've seen us play all year i mean four goals against a bottom team like yeah but at the same time the way they did it was just tic-tac-toe not multiple scores like it was just so beautiful to watch second half yeah we coasted a little bit but still our tour making it 5-1 I think was nice to kind of put in that extra goal and a late goal too with 84th minute where he scored on that one so that was that was nice to see I think we needed that as well but 
after the match was probably the best part. I know that wasn't something that's going to be put on television, but Ben took the mic, thanked the fans as well. And then um, Ache Ache took the mic and he spoke to us as well. And then Steve Clark had a very brief words, but it was essentially just to kind of rile everybody up to get us out there for the playoffs. I mean, even Ben was like, we're going to host a playoff. We're going to pack the stadium. Like you could tell that was an emphasis, not only through the coach, but players as well. Like they thanked the supporters for coming out all season. He mentioned that we were a big part of it, but a big part was to like, we need to pack this place. And I don't like, obviously, yeah, I want that as a fan, but more so for this team, like for the first time, this is a team that deserves for us to come out and support them. Like they went out, won the the cup final. Now they're actually going to be hosting a playoff game. Like what more do we really want? You know, like there's an opportunity for us to win the league. Like, we can actually win the MLS Cup. That's not ridiculous Brandon, to say. But Brandon, it's it's too hot inside of Shell Energy Stadium. That's why people don't come <laughs> out. The hell out of it. Yeah, which the is weather has been perfect. I mean, There's literally no excuse. Yes. It's, and that's something that I really want to dive into in the in the off season when we, when we don't have any games. But there's just so many marketing opportunities for this club. Um, I, I don't buy that it's too hot and. Yeah, like this is a fun Man. team. People just don't know about it, unfortunately. If you're not invested into the Dynamo, if you're not keeping up on their socials, if you're just a casual sports fan in general, you're not going to know what's happening down the street at Shell Shell Energy Stadium. So I hope they do something big for this playoff push once we decide exactly who we're playing and when we're playing them. I mean, imagine L.A. here, uh, Ache Ache and... and um, I'm having a brain fart, but Ache Ache and, and their Mexican player, like, Carlos I know Vela. what, Carlos Vela, yeah, I know what the Dynamo fan base is capable of, and Shell Energy packed with those, with those L3 fans and just those Central American fans that show up to those national games, like, we would have a crazy home field advantage, they just, we're, we're getting into it, and, and I want to say that for a later date, but yeah, I, um, I, I'm excited to see who we end up with, um, which I guess we can we can transition to playoff positioning. Um, so second through fourth gets us home field advantage. Where do you see us finishing? Do you have a preference as far as who you want to play? Uh, let me let me get your thoughts. So currently we're sitting fourth. We're a point ahead of Vancouver. Um, the way it goes, I believe, so eight and nine play a uh, – hey, uh, Shay just saved me. My laptop was dying, and he came in with a charger, so that was huge. Uh, we were communicating kind of off-screen about that. But uh, so the way it goes is eight and nine have a one-card playoff against each other. And then so whoever wins between that, so we'll say FC Dallas, uh, Frisco over San Jose. So then they would play the one St. Louis. Uh, two would play Portland. Three would play Real Salt Lake. And then we would host Vancouver, which – I'm okay with because last time Vancouver came in, we trounced 4-1. I think as long as we don't go to Vancouver, because when we went there, we got absolutely demolished. Uh, so if they if they can come to us, I feel good about that, especially because in October, it's going to be a lot colder in Vancouver than it is going to be here in Houston. So they, uh, I mean, the weather will still be nice, but it won't be that nice compared to what it is up there. So I'm okay with that. I prefer us, honestly, playing Vancouver. I don't want us to have to face off if say if we go up to second i i don't want to play portland i know we play portland at the end of the season but i think that's a bad 
bad look, I guess, or bad optics having to play the same team twice. Cause I think then you kind of get a feel for how they kind of run their motions. You get a better game plan for it. I think, I think we're a team that is going to make a run in this as long as we can face off against somebody that we haven't seen in a little while. So I'm going to not necessarily disagree with you there, but the only team that really worries me is Seattle. Just because of our history there, uh, we've never won in Seattle. Portland, they're not ideal, but I'm okay with them. Seattle is the one team that scares me. And it, the, what scares me about them is that I feel like on the field we're better. It's just that yeah. there's that mental like block right there that you know you just can't – we can't get over that hump of beating them in Seattle. So um, – so- Technically, you're, you're right, because the statistics of what you're talking about bear out. In terms of Portland this season, their goal differential is minus 10. They've given up 55 goals. Seattle, in terms of the playoff teams right now, has given up the least amount of goals at 32. So, like, I, I agree with you on that one. I think that's a, a situation where they're actually playing a little bit better right now. So, I, I, I'm with you. I think Seattle's a scary place to go. But, I, I mean... <laughs> Looking at this, I mean, if we win, we go to St. Louis. I, I fear their fans because they really show out. The only thing that we'd have a leg up on is they've never, you know, we mentioned this last pod, they've never done it before. This is their first time doing that. We did have success when we went into L.A. We came away with a win this season at both L.A. Galaxy and LAFC this season. So, like, it, it can look. I, I'm. You might be right, man. Seattle might be the scariest place that we might have to go to, especially come playoffs. Yeah, and, and we said it before. I, like, look, I know St. Louis is a good squad. They have the points. Um, I just, they don't scare me. And I don't know if it's because <laughs> we've never really been there before um, for the playoffs. We don't know what that's going to look like, a playoff atmosphere uh, in St. Louis. Did I say Seattle or St. Louis? Anyway, um, no. I'm, I'm more terrified of Seattle than I am St. Louis. And again, it's just weird how sports works, how sports works, especially when it comes to these like these little superstitions and, and Seattle just has our number in Seattle. And it's, I'm terrified. So that's the one team I do not want to kind of put you on the spot. Who would you say needs to be our biggest player going into the playoffs? Like who needs to show up every single game for us to come away with W's? I feel like this team – well, I mean, uh, it depends who we go against, right? Um, it's going to be someone in the midfield, either Acha Acha or Artur. See, I think that's like a – I think to me they're going to show up no matter what. I think those two are just so good that, yes, obviously we need them to play well. But for me, I think it has to be Corey. I think if Corey doesn't score goals – that's scary. I, and you know what? I might even also throw Kionis in there as well, because when he's able to really produce on that wing, we're a totally different team. When he was out, like for instance, when he's out and it's like Brad Smith up there or Franco, like we just look slow. We, we look like teams can catch up to us and it's a problem. During the Frisco match, when he didn't, when Kionis didn't start up there and it was Smith and Franco, again, like when he came on in that second half, we made a massive jump. As much as I want to say like, hey, Coco's the guy to do this, 
Not necessarily. To me, Coco's passing rate, I, I mentioned before, it's the worst in terms of our starters. He's in the, like the high 70s where everybody else is in 80s, high 80s into the 90s. He also hasn't really produced much goals too. I think for, for in this case, we have to have somebody who's going to put in the back of the net because I don't think we're going to give up any goals. My thing is we need somebody to score, whether that's Keonis or Baird. I think that is like the biggest factor going in. So when I was thinking about it, I, I was thinking Baird um, just because we do need those goals in. But I feel like you have Quinones, who I'm starting to get confidence in. You have Bossy. Um, so I don't know if I would put all the pressure on Baird. Um, for me, it's like if Ache Ache, for one reason or another, has an off day, that scares me because I just feel like him being the captain, he's kind of the heart and soul of the team. If he has an off day, what's that going to do to a 20-year-old Quinones or a 22-year-old Mikael? Like, I just I feel like everyone kind of looks at looks up to him on the pitch. And so, um, I mean, he's a professional. He's done this before, and I think he's going to be okay. But um, gun in my head, I would, See, I, I would say he's the most important. I fear Artur having a bad game more so than Ache Ache because, like, I think the way Artur is able to kind of clean up that back midfield allows for Ache Ache to be a little bit more cheeky with what he does, like the little bit of moves, crossing across field. Like it allows for him to have a mistake or two. But if they start to get back there, then we're really relying on Svetchenko to make sure everybody's marked, which he's brilliant at doing. If if you ever take a moment and like you're watching a live match, if you just watch him communicate with that back line, there's a reason why that guy came from Europe. Like his communication is so good about making sure everybody's in line that that's such an underrated thing. That that's why I'm saying more of the pressure definitely needs to be on our goal scorers. Whether it's it's Bossy Bossy finally taking a shot on goal, like he's just Mister. I want to set up the perfect alley oop, which is great and he's amazing at it. But I want him to take more shots because there's moments where it's like man you have the angle like put it out there like if if you miss you miss but i would rather you take a shot than us miss the opportunity yeah um i i agree with you there bossy i get what he's trying to do but sometimes it's just like dude be selfish go for it yes 100 percent. yeah i think he's earned uh, it yeah 100 percent. we uh i mean we, we had mentioned it after that fc dallas game um i feel like playoffs is when teams typically hunker down and and yeah we are going to need some big games from the attack um so we'll see i'm excited to see who we play when we play um tickets so last i heard tickets are on sale i went on to the dynamo site Um, while there's not a specific link for you to click on to buy them you can fill out an inquiry form um, and let them know whether you're a season ticket holder or not. And then from there, they will reach out to you to purchase playoff tickets. So fans, whether you're a season ticket member or not, let's pack Shell Energy Stadium. Houston is back to be in a playoff city, whether it's baseball, soccer. We're back in the playoffs, baby. So Dynamo fans, go to HoustonDynamo.com and fill out that form and get yourself some tickets. Because Yeah, and don't let the Astros ticket. be an excuse. That's the other thing. Like, They've had their moment in the sun. They keep doing it. Like, they're going to be there. We need to show love right now for the Dynamo because this might be our only home playoff game that we get to host this this run. So, like, we've got to make sure that we pack the house. And that way, when we go on the road, it's just going to put that much more emphasis. No kidding. And uh, idea from Shay, ticket reps, hit us up. Give us a discount code to send out to the listeners. Yep. Love the idea. Um, 
at the end of the day, we want this thing to thrive. We want this thing to succeed. So all we can do to help pack up Shell Energy Stadium, we are more than willing to. Um, so before we wrap everything up, let's talk the latest news we heard on the 20, 26, 30. 2030 World Cup. You want to let, let everybody know the news we heard? Yeah, apparently FIFA is just saying, screw it, everybody gets one. So they accepted a joint bid from Morocco, Portugal, and Spain. They're officially hosting the tournament, while there's going to be three games in Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay. So <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. Like <laughs> The travel on that is going to be insane. Now, it's also setting up a window to where then the 2034 World Cup is going to go to Saudi. Now... What's interesting about that is you before had to have, I think, like seven viable stadiums for you to host the World Cup. If you need to see it, go look at Brazil. They got one in the Amazon that's overgrown right now. And apparently they're going to waive that for the Saudi 2034 World Cup. So at this point, I don't know what it is that their plan is with all these World Cup matches. 2030 is going to be wild. I guess like I, if, if, if you want to go, you can because, my gosh, it's in almost every part of the world. It's so frustrating because after after everything that happened in Qatar, you would have you would have assumed that FIFA would have had a magnifying glass over it and people would have looked into things like this, but it just smells of corruption. It just smells yes. like it's 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 coming around full circle. More than the Saudi thing, like I get it, they're pumping crazy money right now with with these um, Saudi owned clubs. Whatever, they're gonna get it. Money talks at the end of the day. What frustrates me more than anything is this crazy idea about having half of the World Cup in South America, the other half in Spain and Portugal. Like, just let's say the U.S. is playing. I'm going to be extremely upset if the USA has to play in Uruguay while our next opponent is already in Europe training, getting ready, that we're going to have to to fly over there. Fly over there. And there's just – it's not equal. It's not fair. I mean, I'm sure they're going to come up with some kind of – idea to try to make it fair across across the tables but traveling is no, a pain in the ass man just even just being on the plane like it it's tiresome it takes a toll it's just not fair i don't care how you which way you look at it it's just not going to be a fair advantage for anybody so i because you're exactly right my idea is like okay so they're probably gonna have to devise this where half of the teams are playing on one side of like the world while the other half are playing in the other. But then once you get down to the final like eight, like then what are we all just going to, okay, you four hop on a plane and now you're going to go over there in Spain and Portugal to play this out. Like Tim, you're exactly right. Somebody's going to get an advantage out of this. And then on top of that, it's going to be also a ticket advantage. Cause you know how much easier it would be for you and I to say like, Oh wow, the U S just drew matches where they're only going to have to pay, play in Spain and Portugal. Sweet. Now we can get a hotel for an X amount of days. Right. Rather than if like, Oh, okay. In this match, we got to go to Par- to Paraguay. And then we got to jump on a bird and go over to Morocco. Like, it's just insane in terms of how you're doing these bids. I don't understand why we can't give it to nations that already have stadiums built out. Like, if you think about it in terms of the U.S., our collegiate stadiums alone could host multiple World Cups. The same thing could be said in, I mean, you could do it in China. How many Olympics have they now hosted? If you want to host it in Europe, that's fine. It's really easy to travel around by train. But 
then host it throughout Europe. Do it in Spain. Do it in Portugal. But then also do it in Germany. Do it in Switzerland. Like make it to where you can literally just travel by plane or by train. My apologies, and not have to take an international flight across seas. Like that's where you lose me. That's where I think it's purely corruption at this point. Like I do not get what they're trying to do. And do all these nations now? automatically qualify because like for instance 2026 is in the u.s so we don't have to necessarily qualify for the world cup because we're hosting so does that now mean that six nations have automatically qualified that's absurd to me the state of texas is more able to host the world cup than saudi arabia is like yeah even like the canada u.s mexico bid my whole thing is time zones like it's it's an hour difference time zones like dude yeah. europe to south america like the sun isn't even setting in one place and you're going to be having the world cup there it just made no sense and i loved when i first heard that that uruguay and uh argentina and i forgot who the third one was was hosting because like, okay like the hundredth hundred year anniversary this is where it all started like i get that and then you're hearing like well we don't the, the whole economic issues that are going down in south america right now so then it's like why even like why do it? it or why even do it exactly yeah, like... to me it's just and there's a reason why fifa also moved their headquarters to miami a notorious city allowing for corruption like it's just more things that they're doing to feed their pockets that's absolutely driving me nuts like this is an instance now where then okay like you mentioned yes 2034 probably going to saudi is something that we can foreseeably see but does that mean now we have to have another winter world cup because that kind of sucked having to take a massive break and then going back into league play for a lot of i mean you and i are liverpool fans and i, I hated that to me it, it just it doesn't make sense this is an easy layup for you to host it in places that are easily traveled like this if you're having to go across seas this is ridiculous like granted this one in north america is i i understand it but you're still gonna have to take a plane around from canada to mexico and the united states because our train system over here sucks so like you can't do that and you can't necessarily really drive those either because that's going to take a year and a life just get to one place to the other so like it's not that easily travelable here granted yeah you can hop on a southwest flight and go there that this and the third but I, I'm just sick and tired of watching places that are not able to hold these World Cup nations. Now you're putting so much strain financially on all these countries that don't need it. Like like you mentioned, South America is having a lot of instances in Venezuela, etc., where they're having turmoil. So why even then entertain the idea? To me, it just screams corruption. You're not helping. Like, that's the one thing. Well... I guess to end it on a positive note. 2026 champions, baby. <laughs> no kidding. We have a week off international break. Um, and we start or we end the season with a match against Portland. Portland. We go to Portland. To Portland. If you're Ben, excuse me, if you're Ben, are you putting that A team back out there? Are you fighting for playoff positioning? Are you just trying to get out of it healthy and letting the cookie crumble the way it does? What are your thoughts? So with one match remaining, let's say everything breaks our way. We can go as high as tying LAFC for second because uh, uh, LAFC is at 51. We're at 48. But we can go as low as looking at the standings sixth. here as sixth. 
Real Salt Lake is at 46. Now, Portland is going to be guns blazing because they can go as they're sitting seventh right now at 43, but they can slide all the way back to 11th at Minnesota at 41. So like that bottom from seven to 11 is just two points. So that's going to be a dogfight. So I expect Portland to come out really, really gunning for us. If we get the sixth seed, then I don't think we get to host, right? So you have to finish in top four. So I, I, I think you have to put out an A squad, but if you can get a lead or if it's nil-nil, then I think you make those substitutions. And speaking of hosting, just to remind folks, so now with the new MLS playoff format, the first round is going to be a best of three. So we will have yeah. a playoff game. We just might not have home field advantage. So it'll be exactly the home first home game will be, go to the higher seed. The next game would go to the other team. And then it goes back to the higher seed for the third and decisive game. So we will have a playoff match in Houston right now. We're just trying to figure out if we'll have that home field advantage or not. Um, I look, we're already going to have a week off. I don't want to go into the playoffs with a team that's cold. I would put the starters out there that you're intending on, on playing for the playoffs, at least for, uh, at least for a half, just let them get some playing time, let them get loose a little bit. Um, and then go from there, give Portland a good run for their money. And uh, I, I definitely would not not park the bus, but I definitely would not put in the B or C squad. I, I think these guys need to need to loosen up. For, and for also, Portland. if we can knock Portland out of the playoffs, like I want that because they're somebody that has been tested and tried throughout like their, their entire tenure in MLS. Like going to Providence Park is something that is a legit home field advantage. So if we can knock them out, and move somebody else, like, I'm, I'm okay with that. So I have my answer. We have that notorious shot of Mauro Monotas in front <laughs> of a Portland crowd getting flicked off and whatnot thrown at him. If that picture was supposed to be recreated, what current Dynamo player is going to be posing like that, getting crap thrown at them, flicked off, who who would you see recreating that shot? I want it to be Bossy shooting the arrow and just seeing nothing but just beers and just anger from everybody because especially because he's got the biggest smile I've ever seen in my life. I would love nothing more than that. That's exactly where my head was. I could just picture <laughs> Bossy scoring, running straight to that wall, and then doing just... his arrow, and yeah, just getting it from those fans. So. That'd be, that'd be awesome to see that again. Uh, well, Brandon, it looks like time is about up. Any last words before we wrap everything up here? Just bring on Portland, baby. Bring on Portland. Bring on the playoffs. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Way We Ball. I'm Jamal. I'm Brandon. And this is The Way We Ball. <laughs> <laughs>